three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports Hunt Chicago. My name's John Zaglou. Great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, we're going to recap the Bears-Dolphins game and have an epic rant on what the referees did to the Bears. You don't want to miss it. Comes up in a second, plus a brand new interview today with Mark Shinowski. The TV boys have the Windy City Bulls, host of the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast, and a sports reporter at ABC7 Chicago. Talk with them extensively about Bears football, Justin Fields, Bulls basketball, and so much more. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook John's Glue. Want to watch more of this show? Head on over to SportsTalkChicago.com. Want to start today with this. Who's most to blame for the Bears' loss on Sunday? I know many of you have said, Miami, two a bad defense, Tyreek Hill. I say something else. Those were factors. Those contributed to the end result, but the number one reason the Bears lost on Sunday for the referees. And I direct your attention to two major penalties, the first being against the Dolphins. Fourth quarter, Bears grabbing downfield. Justin Fields trying to make a name for himself after he already did in that game, trying to come back and win and really put the cherry on top of a record-breaking performance. Throws the ball deep downfield, Chase Claypool, Double team, doesn't matter, going to go up for it, make the play, and what happens? The ball is not there. He's being bear-hugged by one defender, and another has his hands in his face. Ball not on his fingertips. It should be a penalty. It should have been P.I., spot foul, first down, Bears move downfield, they win the game. Right? Wrong. That's not what happened. The official said it was a clean play. That's okay. Apparently now we can hit defenders, we can bear hug them, we can throw them to the freaking ground before the ball gets to them. It doesn't matter. Don't worry. It's not a penalty. That was the most egregious missed P.I. call I've ever seen. I've never seen worse than that. What the hell was that? Bears trying to win. Chase Claypool deep downfield. You got a great pass from Fields. He's being damn bear-hucked. But no, no penalty. And then Tua Tungabailoa, the guy who can't even throw a ball five yards, had multiple times in which he threw the ball one foot, one foot. No intentional grounding, no penalty, no loss of down, no loss of yards. The drive just continued for him. And I like Tua Tungabailoa. I really do, but... That was too much yesterday. Too much. The Bears had him sacked, had him nearly down. He just spikes it. No intentional grounding. Oh, yeah, the receiver 50 yards downfield was in the vicinity of the football. Give me a break. Horrible calls. How the hell do you go to bed at night if you're a referee and you make that egregious of a mistake? I understand there are some ticky-tacky calls, right? Or sometimes it's not as obvious as we'd like it to be. Those were obvious. Those were clear right in your face. We all saw it. Matt Eberflus saw it. Bears fans saw it. Everybody did, whether you're in TV or at the stadium or on the field. Everybody knew. Everybody saw. And what's the answer? Nothing. 
They should all be ashamed of themselves. Justin Fields puts up a career performance, leads his team to a potential win, but no, we're not going to call P.I. late in the game for Chase Claypool and Fields and the Bears. Or no, we're not going to call intentional grounding on Tua because we want the Dolphins to drive downfield and never pop the football. Get your head out of your asses, NFL officials. Get your head out of your asses, watch the game, and pay attention when there are penalties, when there are issues, and call them. Every official from yesterday's game should be fired immediately. Not a joke. Everyone should be fired. That was horrible. And I'm going to get to Justin Fields. Bear with me here. That was a joke, okay? End result, the Bears should have won that game. Nobody's fault but the reps. There were other contributing factors. The number one reason the Bears lost that game, crappy refereeing. Disgraceful refereeing. How could you go to bed at night when you make this many bad calls? Refereeing. That's what we saw yesterday. Then it should be okay for Justin Fields to throw the ball a foot out of the pocket and get no intentional grounding. Or it should be okay for the Bears defenders to tackle the Dolphins wide receivers to tackle Tyreek Hill before the ball even gets to him. It should be okay, right? Get it to the Bears. Should be okay to do. No, no. Nope. Double standard. Ben Rogers threw that football, P.I. If Tom Brady threw that football, P.I. If Tyreek Hill was the receiver, P.I. You and I both know it. And this is not an excuse, okay? This is a real issue. I don't like blaming games on referees or blaming games on umpires or refs in basketball, but in this case, that really influenced the outcome of the game. Same with Tua, three times, intentional grounding, no call. Each time it should have been a loss of down, loss of 10 yards. Dolphins at some point would have had to punt when they shouldn't have. The Bears should have won that game. It was there. If everything was called correctly, the Bears would have won. Simple, but they didn't. The referees blew it for the Bears. You got to man up and make the call. Man up and make the call. I was astounded at the no calls in that game. You saw me on the live stream. For those of you who watched, I was astounded. I was pissed. I was had a horrible taste in my mouth. I was bitter. The Bears should have won that game. Justin Fields played his heart out. The Bears should have won. What are we doing? NFL, get it right. NFL officials, get it right. Any of you who were on that crew yesterday, you're fired. To me, you're fired. Horrible. All of you should be ashamed of yourselves. You let a record-ranking performance end in a loss because of your crap-ass calls. That's despicable. It's disgusting. And it's still going to leave a bad taste in my mouth. I know in my heart the Bears won this game. They did. They won. But because of a number of bad calls and missed calls and no calls, the Bears were officially, quote-unquote, losers on Sunday. Now, the defense didn't do the Bears any favors, and obviously it wouldn't, right? You get rid of Roquan Smith, you get rid of Robert Quinn, of course you're going to have issues defensively. How do you said this yesterday? I don't think the Bears should fire anybody. No D.C. firing or rehiring or change in that position till we see him with a good defense. I don't blame the Bears' defense fully for their current situation. Ryan Poles got rid of everybody. Who do they have back there? Bunch of rookies, bunch of one-year contracts. You can't expect them to be elite. So every week we're probably going to talk about the defense and how they may have blown the game, but at the end of the day, there's not much we could say other than we have to wait till next year. This team is going through a rebuild. For those who say the Bears shouldn't have traded Quinn and Smith, the Bears should have kept them. They would have been a playoff team. Highly doubt it. Quinn was not performing. Smith had his ups and downs. The Bears were not willing to pay both of them beyond this year, rightfully so. Why not trade them for some sort of draft capital? I'm okay with the moves. I'm happy with the moves. we got to move on from them. We have to face the reality that the Bears' defense is going to struggle for the most part this year. Going to be a lot of shootouts, fun football to watch, and it's going to be now on the offense to keep up with the other team's offense and see who wins. And that's okay. This is not a contending year. This is not a rebuilding year. This is a nothing year. It's a Justin Fields development year. 
And I'll tell you, we saw a lot of development yesterday. Third straight game in which Justin Fields has been amazing. And talk about a narrative shift. I never would have expected this. I'll be honest, I was wrong at first. These first couple of games this year, I mean, he looked horrible. And now he's breaking records. Now he's making history. How impressive is that? How nice is it to see Bears fans? See, the Bears actually have an elite quarterback field yesterday. 17 of 28, three passing touchdowns, no picks, a rushing touchdown, 179 rushing yards, 123 passing yards. Justin Fields was the only reason the Bears were in it, contrary to what we've seen in the past. He was the only reason the Bears were in that game. The Bears almost won because of Justin Fields, not in spite of Justin Fields, and they lost because of their defense in the refs, not because of Justin Fields. This is huge. Third week in a row, we've seen this. For the Bears have lost games or won games, but Justin Fields has been a positive throughout. He hasn't been the cause of a loss, but he's been the cause of a win. We've officially hit a turning point. We have. Remember I said after the Patriots game, everybody asked me, is this a turning point for the Bears? I said we need to see more consistency from them. This is the third straight game in which we've seen Justin Fields ball out, the offense look amazing, and the Bears really being competitive against good teams in big games. Yes, now it's a turning point. And now it's time to keep it up. Pedal to the metal. We need to see Justin Fields continue on this trend. And by the end of the year, if the Bears can get him better players for next year, my goodness, this team could be an NFC North winner next year. By the way, each year St. Brown dropped that ball in fourth down. I mean, that penalty was horrible, and that really cost the Bears the game, but the next play, EQ St. Brown had to make a catch, Fields, good throw, hit him in the chest, couldn't make the play. A prime example of the Bears having wide receivers who are scrubs. I said from the beginning, EQ St. Brown's a bust. I mean, he is a bum in the NFL. He had 98 receiving yards last year in Green Bay. You brought in somebody who's like a number five or number six wide receiver and expect him to be a big part of your offense. Bull. This is a message to everybody. Stop elevating mediocrity. People like to elevate Nikhil Harry, EQ St. Brown, Bayless Jones Jr. These are bums. These are busts. These are horrible players. You can't evaluate Justin Fields. You can't say this was a Justin Fields issue. The Bears still did great. Justin Fields did good, but they didn't win. Who the hell are you to talk? Look at these guys. Look who he's working with. (laughs) EQ St. Brown? Who the hell is EQ St. Brown? His brother is bigger than him. Everybody knows him because of his brother. Nikhil Harry's a bust. He's Kevin White Part 2. And Bannis Jones Jr. is the one whiff Ryan Poles has made. Bayless Jones was inactive yesterday. The Bears have no wide receiving help whatsoever. Oh, the Bears didn't throw the ball enough. Justin Fields didn't throw it up. Only 123 yards. Who the hell is he supposed to throw to? Nobody was open. (laughs) I know I'm a complainer. Because I evaluate fairly. But if you evaluate the game fairly yesterday, this was not a Justin Fields issue whatsoever. I'm going to defend him here. What did he do wrong? Not his fault. There were P.I.s that should have been called. Not his fault. E.Q. St. Brown can't make a routine six-yard catch when the game's on the line. Not Justin Fields' fault. He played great. He was the only reason why the Bears were in it. If Justin Fields did not start, if Trevor Simeon started, if any other quarterback backup started, the Bears would have been blown out yesterday. The Bears stayed in it. They hung with Miami and Tua and Tyreek Hill. And Waddle, the Bears hung with everybody because of Justin Fields, not in spite of Justin Fields. That's the biggest key from the game. The Bears hung with the Dolphins, a perennial playoff team, because of Justin Fields, not in spite of Justin Fields. And that's a win in my book. It is. Had anybody else started, the Bears would have lost that game easily. Justin Fields kept them in it. And if you want to complain about Justin Fields only having 123 passing yards, here's my message to you. Look at the damn wide receivers. Yes, look at them. Look at the drops from even Claypool, EQ St. Brown, other players during the game. And then he ran. I will take 
179 yards from my quarterback all day long. Many of you might be old school, don't like it, get with the times. I loved it. It was fun to watch, but more than anything, the Bears still moved downfield. They scored. They made it a game. Fields did everything. Fields converted time after time after time again on third down. Running. Scrambling. You can't have your can and eat it too. You can't say Justin Fields needs to throw more when his offensive line is cramped and he has no wide receivers. Right? The Bears only had 123 passing yards. Well, who was Justin Fields throwing to? How many drops were there? How many times did the pocket collapse instantly? Critique with context. Talked about this all the time on this program. Critique with context. Justin Fields has officially cemented himself as QB1 for the Bears. I'm saying it now. Unless something unexpected happens and Fields completely progresses, he is QB1 for the Bears now. And at this point, it's time for the Bears to build around him. Stop blaming Justin Fields for 123 passing yards when one, he has no one to throw to, two, nobody was open, three, he ran and it worked. That said, I'm still going to say it. The reason why the Bears lost, if you're trying to point a finger, who was wrong, who was at fault, why the Bears get an L in the column, it was the referees. And the other storylines that you want to talk about all have qualifiers. The defense does not have their two best players. They're not going to be good for the rest of the year. Justin Fields didn't throw because nobody got open. So every argument that you try to bring up has a qualifier. Right now, after yesterday's game, there should be no slander of Justin Fields. What did he do wrong yesterday? No turnovers. I love it. Oh, I love seeing that stat line. Rushing touchdown. Rushing record. Rushing record. You can't say anything about what he did yesterday. Want to blame anybody? Blame the defense, but the defense does not have their best guys. Blame the reps. That's true. Nobody could control that. That was just bad calling. Bad officiating. Blown officiating. I am so sick of bad officiating. You know, at some point, this is an aside, but at some point, people are going to be disenfranchised with the NFL. Not kidding. Who's going to want to watch a game that looks rigged? I'll say it. Who's going to want to watch a game that just looks rigged? How could you miss that call? Eventually, nobody's going to watch it. Everyone's going to say it's rigged and it's going to be over. NFL should pick up on that. NFL should see that because it's happened multiple times. In Bears games and other games that I've seen across this league this season. That's a fact. And at some point... They will lose fans. They will lose subscribers and money and revenue because their officiating is ass. Mark my words on that. That was the reason the Bears lost. That's why it happened. That's going to leave a bad taste in my mouth. The encouraging part, the reason why I'm still okay-ish, is because Justin Fields killed it, set a record, what a huge game is the guy for the Bears, and that's amazing. But deep inside, we still want to win. Who are we going to blame for this loss? Besides the defense, that. That call on Claypool, the lack of calls on Tua Tango Bailoa. I like Tua. I believe in Tua, but I'll say this. Throwing the ball one foot, claiming the receiver's in the area when he's 50 yards downfield, is bull, and everybody knows it. Make the damn call. Be fair. You're going to lose people. NFL doesn't care, and if they don't, that's fine. I care. I care for my team's sake. Make the damn call. You know you should have. Know what I hate, too? We're going to see in a day or two when the NFL looks at all the missed and close calls. They're going to come out, put out a press release saying, oh, we missed the call. Should have been pass interference. Okay, who cares? I don't want admitted fault. I want the game to be rectified and the Bears have a chance to win. If you're going to say it's a bad call or it should have been called, then how about we do this? You admit it. Everybody shows up on Tuesday or Wednesday when the press release comes out. You finish the game the right way. Why are we okay with this? Why is this acceptable to us? <sighs> I need to be better. But I digress. 
The Bears had a great game. Justin Fields is the man, and he's getting it done. To any of you who say he isn't passing enough, I say look at his wide receivers. Look at EQ St. Brown dropping what could have been a game-extending play. It was only a six-yard pass. Be better. How about stop surrounding Justin with scrubs? Okay, they do have one of the worst wide receiving cores in football. Still, even with the Claypool trade, they do. Why is EQ St. Brown on the damn field? Why did the Bears even pay him money? It's a waste of money. They smartly benched Ellis Jones Jr. The next should be EQ St. Brown. Then to kill Henry. We got to keep going and going and going. These names should not be on the field. So before you blame Justin Fields, before you say not enough passing, couldn't pass downfield, look at the wide receivers before you look at Justin. He did everything he could. He didn't even have a turnover. You cannot blame him for anything. So I ask again. Who was most responsible for the Bears' loss? wasn't Justin Fields. The defense, without their best players, the scrub-ass wide receivers, and the referees made it tough for the Bears to win. I'm still happy with the progress I'm seeing from Fields. That's the whole point of this season anyway. But I'll admit, this one hurt a bit. The Bears should have won it. The game was taken out of their hands by... The NFL officiating crew, the NFL themselves, and they gave it to the Dolphins for no reason whatsoever. Always keep that in your mind, but we look forward to next week and seeing what the Bears could do this coming Sunday against Detroit. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Mark Shinowski comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Chicago. Every chance of glory, we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's a sports reporter at ABC7, host of the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast, and the TV voice of the Windy City Bulls. Please welcome Mark Shinowski to the program. Mark, it's great to have you on. How are you? John, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Great to have you here. What do you make of the Bears-Dolphins game yesterday? We'll start there. Hey, that was a lot of fun to watch. That was like an old AFL game. You know, I'm showing my <laughs> age here, but I used to watch those games that were broadcast on NBC back in the day, and it was very little defense played. Just teams running back and forth, up and down the field. <laughs> you know, it's not always the highest quality of football, but it's fun to watch. And there was very little defense played in that game at Soldier Field on Sunday. But it was so much fun to watch Justin Fields just run wild. You know, some of the comments from the Miami Dolphins afterwards, you know, guys saying that he's special, and we're glad we don't have to face him again. Uh, that's not what people were saying early in, in Justin Fields' career. So, you know, here's a young guy in only his second season with his second coaching staff, and he's made great strides. We're midway through this 2022 season, and I'm excited to see what he can do the rest of the way. How encouraging was that performance yesterday and now these past three games in a row? It seems like he's really turning a corner. Yeah, there's no question about it. And I think that some of the people who have been quick to criticize haven't really taken into consideration some of the uh, liabilities that he was working with. You know, a very shaky offensive line substandard receiving crew, uh, you know, and basically, as I mentioned, having to work with a second offense in his second professional season. So, you know, the knocks on Justin coming into the NFL were that he was a one-read quarterback. He didn't necessarily see the field. But when you play at a powerhouse like Ohio State, those guys running free. You know, I mean, he didn't have to make multiple <laughs> reads because the first read was usually wide open. And, yeah, there, there were some adjustments there. Uh, Matt Nagy was obviously desperate to keep his job last year. That's why he was going to start Andy Dalton at the beginning of the year before he got hurt. So Justin was working at a disadvantage throughout his rookie season. Now he comes in with the new coaching staff. They're trying to figure out exactly how to utilize him best. And after, you know, they had that mini buy, they came back with a brand new offense, it seemed. Design runs, more rollouts, uh, quick, quick outlet passes where he's not going to have to deal with that pass rush all the time. And he's flourished under that. I mean, you know, you can say they didn't win the game yesterday, but Justin Fields set an all-time NFL record for rushing yards by a quarterback in a single game. For all his critics out there, you know, I, I still saw a lot of yeah butts on Twitter today. They, you know, they didn't win the game. He couldn't, he couldn't lead them to the touchdown drive on their last two possessions. I'll tell you what, this kid is got all the athletic traits to be an outstanding NFL quarterback. And if they just continue to work around what he does best, 
get him some better weapons and a better offensive line with all this cap space they have next offseason, they could have something special because the Packers are definitely in decline. Minnesota, of course, is having a great year, but I don't think they're a juggernaut by any means. The Bears could be a team as soon as next season that could be challenging for a division championship. How sustainable do you think this offense is, though? I mean, Baltimore certainly had their struggles with Lamar Jackson after their big year a couple of years ago. Do you think this is a sustainable offense for the Bears even moving forward into next year? Well, you have to be careful when you run your quarterback too much. I mean, I, I will accept that for some of the people that said that, you know, he's going to get hurt or you can't sustain that because most of his big plays have come out of scramble situations. You know, the 61-yard touchdown run, he was bottled up in the pocket, was able to spin away, eluded another tackler, and then he was in the open field. And his speed in the open field is pretty incredible for a quarterback. He's got to be, if not the fastest, one of the fastest quarterbacks in the NFL. He's able to run away from defenders, which is impressive. But you don't want to expose your quarterback to big hits on design runs on a consistent basis. I think what they did in changing the offense, Luke Getze saw that because they couldn't throw the ball downfield because their receivers weren't getting open, they had to do something to challenge the defense. So that meant more design runs for Justin Fields. He's really good at that. I think if you are you know, judicious in how you use him as a runner, you can sustain that to a certain degree. But you don't want him scrambling around and trying to avoid multiple tacklers because sooner or later he's going to not see somebody come from the blind side. And then you have, of course, the risk of injury. But a great point there. Um, there were not a lot of wide receivers wide open downfield. A lot of people said yesterday, oh, the Bears didn't throw downfield. Justin Fields can't throw downfield. Well, we have to remember, nobody was open either, and that played a big role into why the Bears prioritized running with Fields. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, they brought Nikhil Harry back off the injured list, who was a bigger body, but not a speed demon by any means. Chase Claypool, who they required in a trade last week, is a taller receiver, but he's not extremely fast. You saw in that play, which should have been pass interference late, that there was no separation. I mean, he was double covered, and there was really no opening. At that point, I think Fields just thought, I'll, I'll throw a jump ball and see if my 6'4 receiver can pull it down. They should have gotten the flag, which obviously would have set them up for at least a tying field goal, and then it's, it would have been a completely different storyline going into Monday. But, you know, they, the receiving crew, before they, they made these additions, was really one of the worst in the league. You know, they didn't have a lot of size. Outside of Darnell Mooney, they had they didn't have anybody who could really create any separation. And, it, you know, I'm sure when Justin Fields was looking at, at down the field, there was nothing there. I mean, you can say, uh, why don't you scan the field and find other options? Well, with that offensive line, basically, if his first option isn't open, he's running for his life. Who lost the game more for the Bears yesterday, the reps or the defense? Defense. Defense. Uh, you know, obviously, my, Miami got a touchdown on the block punt, so you take that one off the, off the tally. But giving up 28 points in the way they did. I mean, Tua carved them up. He didn't have an incompletion until I think either late the first half or early in the second. I mean, I think he reeled off like 11 in a row before he finally had one that was incomplete. Uh, Tua looked very good, by the way, you know, coming off all the concussion issues. I was wondering, coming out of Alabama, whether he had the arm strength to be a good NFL quarterback. But he's shown with that receiving crew that, that he's a dangerous quarterback. I thought he played really well yesterday. But, you know, the defense – they traded away two of their best players in Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith, all part of the rebuilding strategy for Ryan Poles. I totally get that, but they've left that unit pretty well exposed. I mean, the two rookies they have back there, you know, they've had their moments where they've looked okay, but they've got a big learning curve in terms of trying to defend the best receivers on the planet. So they're going to be vulnerable to the big plays in the passing game. And right now with, with the losing Roquan Smith, who was your leading tackler, a guy who's all over the field playing sideline to sideline, they're vulnerable in a lot of different ways. So they're going to have to outscore teams to win games the rest of the way. But I think from a fan base that's, that's seen kind of boring teams the last few years, just being in games, you know, 35-32, they, they scored over 30 points against the Patriots. That's that's fun to watch. If Ryan Poles builds around this team, does stuff in the offseason, drafts responsibly, what do you see this Bears team being next year? Well, as I mentioned, I think they could contend for the NFC North title next year, assuming, of course, that Ryan Poles does, is aggressive in the free agent market. You know, we've seen this with our baseball teams, with the Bulls, where they've got cap space, but uh, we couldn't get this guy, so we're going <laughs> to spread it around to a bunch of lesser players. That's not the strategy I hope that Ryan Poles – you know, football is different than basketball. In basketball, you get one or two stars. You can turn things around in a hurry. Football – is, is the ultimate team sport. You need all three phases to play well. So I understand that they need a couple of offensive linemen. They need a couple of receivers. 
They need an edge pass rusher. They need another cornerback. You know, they'll get some of that in the draft and they'll get some of it in free agency, but I don't know if you can fill six, seven, eight holes in one off season. Mark Janowski here on Sports Talk Chicago. Mark, let's talk Bulls now. What's your take on their season so far? Bulls, you mean? Got your bears, okay? Yeah, Bulls. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, the Bulls right now as we speak are five and six with a rematch coming up against the Toronto Raptors on Monday night. They've been very inconsistent, and I think that, you know, once again, it's the injury issue. We, we've talked about injuries with the Bulls for as long as I can remember, dating back to Derrick Rose having that terrible knee injury in the 2012 playoffs. And, and they just can't seem to get out from under this. You know, they they had their bench was a real strength in the first few games with Andre Drummond and Goran Dragic showing a lot of really good veteran savvy and, and good chemistry between those two working the pick and roll and some nice lob plays. But then Drummond gets hurt. He takes a hard fall, sprains his shoulder, can't blame the medical staff. Like I see so many people on Twitter, fire everybody, bring in new doctors, <laughs> new trainers, which which they have done, by the way, in a lot of areas. Now, they have a new training staff. Uh, you know, some injuries you just can't control. Uh, the Zach Levine thing is a bit of a mystery to everybody. You know, he had the scope done early in the offseason. He talked about in training camp he had no issues with the knee. His explosion was back. He felt better than he's ha- he has in a long time. And yet he's missing games. He missed the game on Sunday where that allowed Toronto – send double teams at DeMar DeRozan as soon as he crossed half court. Uh, Nick Nurse is a very good coach for the Raptors, and he knew with Zach out, they really couldn't hurt his team uh, if they were going to sell out with double teaming DeRozan. So hopefully in the rematch on Monday night, we'll be able to play, and they won't be able to be so aggressive and throw caution to the wind in double teaming DeMar DeRozan. Um, you know, and Billy Donovan's had to adjust his rotations. He was doing some experimenting early on, trying to play 10, 11 guys. Now, because of injuries, he's kind of tightened that up a little bit. But you won't really know until until Zach is able to play regularly what this team can do. And the hope is, you know, they finally got a positive report on Lonzo Ball last week that they feel like this latest arthroscopic procedure, which showed there was something that was pushing on his nerve in that knee, maybe Lonzo Ball can come back around Christmas time and then you know, maybe the second half of the season they can make a strong run and be, you know, trending upwards going into the playoffs instead of last year when they had all the injuries and they were kind of limping into the playoffs. So who needs to step up here? I mean, if everyone's going to be double-teaming DeRozan and Levine's still re- trying to return, who should be stepping up for the balls? Well, you need to get some scoring from other sources besides their big three. And Patrick Williams has been more aggressive in the last week. I know in talking to Stacey King, he had a conversation with him on the road before the game in San Antonio. And also Patrick's older brother, who I guess gave him a really hard time about being too passive on the court. So we've seen him, especially early in games, trying to drive to the basket. He did get his shot blocked a few times at the rim by Christian Coloco in that game in Toronto. But, you know, just to see him be more aggressive, I think, is a positive thing at this point. Uh, you know, Kobe White is out injured right now. He's a guy that can give you some scoring off the bench. But right now he is sidelined. They're going to have to use that second unit to be a strength for them. I think in the games that they've won this year, They've dominated the bench points. And I think when you've got Drummond and Dragic and Kobe White and Caruso playing on the second team, I think that's a, that's a, and Javante Green. I don't want to forget about him. That's, that's a really strong unit that's going to be better than most teams' bench groups. You know, now Caruso starting, you saw in the game against Toronto on Sunday, they just dared him to shoot. You know, when they were double teaming DeRozan, they were coming off, they were rotating off Caruso. He had a couple of threes late that might have changed the outcome of that game. And, and he, and he misfired. You know, and that's not his strength. You know, he's, he's an effort guy. He's a defensive player who gets you steals and, and, and makes plays in transition. But he's not a great three-point shooter. And now that he's uh, starting when Zach is out, you know, he's going to have to be a shooter. And he has not been able to do that through the early part of the season. Do we know when Zach Levine's going to return? He's supposed to play on Monday night. But, you know, right now it looks like back-to-backs are going to be very iffy. He did play a back-to-back last week, which kind of surprised a lot of people, but he was not nearly as effective in the second game as he was in the first. I think they're going to be very careful with him through the first half of the season. I know that that really rubs people the wrong, a lot of people the wrong way because he signed the max contract. He had the surgery. People are saying, you're supposed to be our 1A player along with DeMar. You know, the, both those guys made the all-star team last year, and the expectation was that both would do it again. But Zach is off to a, you know, an okay start, but he's missing a lot of games and he's not really been able to finish at the rim like we've been able to see in the past. And he's made some cryptic comments to some of the beat writers in terms of saying that, 
He's had to reevaluate how he plays. He referenced Michael Jordan changing his game after his retirement. But MJ came back, you know, when, when he returned, he was, let's see, he would have been uh, 33 when he came back. Uh, Zach is 27. So you'd hope that Zach would still have some high-flying years left in him before he starts thinking about the, uh, the standstill turnaround jumper game. <laughs> How did this happen? How did this all happen to Zach Levine? Well, I think part of it is put a lot of stress on that knee over the years. You know, he's always been a high flyer dating back to high school and his one year at UCLA, the two slam dunk championships that he won. And Zach has always been a guy that if he had a chance to lay it in or dunk it, he dunked it. He wanted to get on the highlight reels. He wanted to, you know, posterize guys at the rim. And, you know, he had the, he had the ACL injury with the Timberwolves. He came back, was a back back to 100%, but I think that, you know, I've never had a knee surgery, but I'm sure that, that when you have that, there, there's, there's scar tissue, there's things that, that make it feel maybe not 100%, and then now Zach had the second procedure done during this past off season. So that knee is probably, even though it's for a normal person, it's 100%, for a, you know, an elite athlete who wants to, to jump over seven footers and dunk the ball, well, maybe there is a little bit of hesitation there. I hope that whatever mental issues that he may have he can get past in the coming weeks and that when we get into the second half of the season, we'll see the old Zach, but you know, he came into the league at 19. This, I think believe this is his ninth year. So he's been around for a long time and he's put some miles on that. What's your expectation for the rest of this season for the Bulls? Hard to say because the Eastern conference is so strong this year. Look at what Cleveland is doing. Who would have thought that Cleveland is going to be a legitimate <laughs> contender Post LeBron James, I mean LeBron really made that into a story. He went back, he got we won Cleveland their first championship in some fifty years, and you thought that after he finally left for good to go to the Lakers, that um, you know it's gonna it would be a lot of dark times for Cleveland. But they've built it up the right way, you know, through the draft and through really smart trades. Kobe Altman, their general manager, has done a great job, and they've won eight games in a row. They're eight and one right behind Milwaukee at nine and zero. Um, Cleveland is definitely a factor in the East now, which just gives you one more strong team, along with Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, Miami, Toronto. We can go on and on. You know, Brooklyn is, is the great unknown. They just uh, fired Steve Nash, or they left a part of mutual agreement, <laughs> which is always a funny thing for me to hear. Uh, yeah, I've heard that mutual agreement story before. It never usually uh, rings true. Right. But so just, you know, my larger point is that to try to analyze exactly where the Bulls are going to fit in, in this mix. I think Milwaukee and Boston are the two teams at the top. I think Cleveland right, has shown they can be there, and Philadelphia has a very strong team. Uh, James Harden's going to be out for a couple of weeks, maybe up to a month, but he'll be back, and, and I'm sure he'll be, he'll be strong for the playoffs. So the thing that you want to do, you want to finish in the top six to avoid that play-in tournament. Bulls are off to a little bit of a tough start now at five and six, and they've got some tough games coming up. They've got two games against Denver. They play the Pelicans. They've got the game against Toronto on Monday night. So uh, the next couple of weeks, they're going to have to make sure that they can hopefully at least split these next four to six games and not dig yourself a big hole early in the season. But long term, I think when they get everybody back, this is a very good team. I think their second unit is a big strength. And, and I would anticipate that they, they, they'd be in that 45 to 48 win range, which would put you somewhere between six and nine. You'd rather be six than be in that playing tournament, but we'll just have to see how things shake out in the East. This might be a little bit too soon, but have the Bulls lost their championship window already before it even started? That's a really good question because DeMar DeRozan only signed a three-year contract, which means you know they're going to have to decide after, decide after this year, are you going to extend DeMar, who's 33 years old, in his 14th season? He's playing the best basketball of his career, but there's a shelf life on everybody. Father time is undefeated. And you have to wonder how far would the Bulls be willing to go to extend DeMar. And, you know, DeMar flirted with signing with the Lakers. He's told people openly on various podcasts and radio interviews that he thought he was going to sign with the Lakers uh, during that offseason. But they went with Russell Westbrook instead. Huge mistake on the Lakers' part because they're 2-7 they're and seven right now and really floundering. But I think the Bulls are going to have to decide, can we win? Can we really challenge with a championship with our core of, of Zach Levine, DeMar, and Nikola Vucevic, because Vuce is a free agent at the end of this year. And and he's 30, I believe he just turned 32. So 
you know, are you going to re-sign Vooch and DeMar at big money, which basically closes you out of free agency, and that's your team? You know, they don't have a first-round draft pick this year. They do have Portland's future number one, but that's lottery protected. And I don't think the Trailblazers, even though they're off to a nice start, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. So they're not going to have a first-round pick. If you re-sign DeRozan to an extension and Vooch to a new contract, that's your team for the foreseeable future. And as much as I, I think this is a good team, as much as I like Billy Donovan as a coach, I don't think they can contend for a championship with this squad. Wow. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I don't disagree with you. I think that's probably a little bit of an alarm for Bulls fans thinking this team is better than what they might be. Well, I think that last year, you know, they got off to that great start and then the injuries and the, and the COVID uh, missing games hit and, and they kind of dropped back a little bit after the All-Star break. I think that, you know, is so good right now. There are so many good young players. The Bulls, even though it seems new because we have Billy Donovan coming in, as, as you know, he hasn't been there all that long. You have a new front office led by Arturis Karnishevis, and you feel like, hey, this is a young team with a lot, a lot of growth potential. But really, they're one of the older rosters in the league because of that bench group. They've got some veterans on there. You know, you look at which players do you look at as, as future young stars. I think we already know what Kobe White is. You know, he's in his fourth season. I think he's a guy who could score off the bench, but I would never say – I wouldn't say that he has all-star potential. Patrick Williams in his third season, he missed almost all a year too because of the wrist injury. He kind of fights his confidence. You know, the one thing – I mentioned this on our podcast that I think that what Patrick should probably do is limit his interviews. It seems like he, he, he <laughs> psychoanalyzes himself after every game. And I think that, you know, sometimes for a young player, if you think too much, that's going to inhibit what you can do on the court. Because when he just plays, I mean, the guy's six seven. He's, 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 you know, a very physical guy that can go strong to the rim. He can get some things done. But, you know, he's the fourth pick in the draft. And unfortunately for Bulls fans, he was the fourth pick in a three-player draft. You know, there were three elites. And then there, the Bulls moved up from seven to four. And there was a, a menagerie of guys to take. They took Patrick Williams. People who say that, that AK blew that pick, well, there wasn't a lot after him that looks like star potential either. So, you know, Patrick is 21. I know just like we talked about with Justin Fields earlier, the fans are, are impatient. They're, they're, they're quick to bury the kid. I, I think that there's a lot of potential there. Remember, he missed almost all of last season. I, I think that he could still be a very good player, but I don't see him as a guy that's going to be an all-star down the road. I think he's more of a supplemental piece than he is a, uh, a core piece. So what's this mean for the Bulls for the rest of this year, next year, moving forward? I mean, are they going to have to rebuild again? Like, What could be the future plan for them at this point? Well, that depends what happens over the next two and a half months until we get to the you know mid-February when the trade deadline comes. If AK decides that they're not going to re-sign or they, 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 they will only sign Vucevic at their price, you know how this works, they're going to talk to his agent and say, hey, what do you think it's going to, what's, what's it going to take to bring him back on an extension? We would like to bring him back, but we'd like it to be on a team-friendly deal. Well, this, this would be Vuce's last opportunity to get a big contract in the marketplace. They may decide, you know, that it's not going to work out and maybe they trade Vooch, you know, and then then you're in a situation where making the playoffs this year becomes an issue, you know, and then DeMar DeRozan might start looking around and going, do I want to commit the, la the last years of my career to a team that has no chance to win a championship? And he may tell the Bulls in the offseason, you know, maybe you maybe might want to think about moving me along because I only got X number of years left and I'd, I'd like to contend for a championship. So, you know, I thought AK and Mark Eversley did a wonderful job the first year of evaluating everybody. It blew up the roster, very aggressive in bringing in DeRozan. I thought they gave up too much for Vooch. Vooch is a very good player, but when you consider what they gave up, Wendell Carter Jr. did not distinguish himself here, but he's playing well with the Orlando Magic, and they gave up two number ones. The first pick, which was the ninth pick in the draft, turned out to be Franz Wagner, who NBA people love. 6'10 guy who can play on the wing, who can shoot the three, would have fit very nicely in this club. That's not to say the Bulls would have drafted Franz Wagner if they had that pick, but they probably would have because Arturis has a good international background and they needed shooting. Um, I, I'm, I know I'm going around the block on this, but there are so many unknowns right now. They could decide, you know, if they're under 500 at the uh, trade deadline, maybe they make a bold move and trade one of the veterans. I think more likely – 
They're going to stay the course and reevaluate in the offseason. More to come with Mark Janowski in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Mark Janowski is still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Mark, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, the Windy City Bulls, how'd you become their TV voice? Well, you know, uh, a few years back, I got a chance to fill in uh, for, it actually was Neil Funk, uh, to do a game. And I know you've done a lot of play-by-play, and and I always fantasize, uh, fantasize maybe is the right word, but I always thought about the possibility of doing play-by-play. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, um, I was a huge NBA fan, and I, I I would listen to a lot of games on the radio. And and I was living in Milwaukee, and really like cold weather. And I used to tell my buddies, you know, when I when I get uh, into my career, I'm going to be the voice of the Phoenix Suns. I want to get out, get in the warm weather, and call basketball. Well, I never, you know, how circumstances change in broadcasting. I got kind of pushed down the the TV news path, and I have no regrets. It, it's been wonderful for myself and my family, and. You know, I, I have no regrets about it, but you always have that thought in the back of your head. I, geez, I wonder what it would have been like if I had gone the play-by-play route. Things were a lot different back then. Uh, you know, if you were trying to break in, there weren't as many opportunities. You know, now that we have games being streamed with basically every minor league team in every sport, you know, there's great opportunities for young broadcasters to kind of see what they have in terms of their talent and, and have their work seen by, by people with larger teams. But back then, you know, if you didn't get a chance to call minor league baseball or something like that, there really weren't a lot of opportunities. So, um, so get back to your original question. I got a chance to fill in for Neil. I love doing it. And after the season, I was trying to think, well, how can I get more opportunities? I reached out to a, to a couple of college conferences, but you know, I had one game on my resume. It was kind of hard to sell myself as a play by play guy. So, uh, you know, I talked to some people I knew in the bulls organization. I said, are there any opportunities at windy city? They had someone locked in at play-by-play, but they said, well, would you be interested in doing color? So I did color for a couple of years. And then our play-by-play guy uh, relocated with his family out to Colorado. And, you know, I asked him, hey, can I switch over? And they said, that would be great. We'd love to have you. I was able to uh, convince my buddies Kendall Gill and Will Purdue to help me out on some games this year. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm I'm really thrilled about doing a a full season of play-by-play. And getting a chance to work with good friends like Kendall and Will makes it even more special. Yeah, how's it feel to have a Bulls pre and post game reunion for the Windy City Bulls booth? <laughs> you know, it's been fantastic because you know when I left, we stayed in contact, and you know the guys would say we really miss having you on the show, and uh, you know it was kind of hard for me to watch for a long time because you know I'd done that for 14 years; it was part a big part of my life. Um, so. You know, Jason Goff does a nice job on the show, but, you know, you always feel like when you do something that long, you feel a sense of ownership and you feel like, uh, you know, I helped that show grow and I wish I was still a part of it. So um, when I found out that I was going to get the opportunity to do play-by-play this year, first thing I did was reach out to those guys. And, you know, there, there are going to be some conflicts where, they, where there's a Bulls game, Windy City Bulls game at the same time, so they won't be available. But, you know, they'll, they'll probably do half to two-thirds of the games and, and just get, get a chance to uh, – work with them again is, is really special. I mean, we did the game on Saturday, the home opener, and, you know, just be, we, that was the only game we were going to have both of them. It was a three-man booth for that game. And it was it was so comfortable and so easy. Uh, I hope the viewers that they got a chance to watch it on NBC Sports Chicago enjoyed it. You know, we do all 24 home games. I believe 14 are going to be live, and 10 because of conflicts with either the Bulls or Blackhawks will be on tape delay. And a lot of them re-air later in the evening or the next day. So I, I hope people get a chance to sample them on NBC Sports Chicago because they have a nice squad. They've got some recognizable names, some kids with Chicago backgrounds, and hopefully they're going to be really competitive and have a chance to make the playoffs in the G League this year. Mark, before we finish up today, last question, how close were you to not being in the Bulls locker room when they won the finals in 1993? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was very close, uh, I've told the story before that uh, I was sent there as the feature reporter to go along with uh, Tim Weigel at Channel 7 back in 1993. And it looked like that game might be going the wrong way. Game 6, Phoenix was was charging late, and it looked like we might be looking ahead to a Game 7. So Tim asked me with our uh, extra shooter, he said, why don't you go out in the concourse or even outside if you want and grab some Phoenix Suns fans and get their predictions on a Game 7, you know, kind of the man on the street thing, which – 
is not one of my favorite things in local news, but every station <laughs> does it. So I, I'm in the concourse. I actually saw Pax's winning shot on a TV monitor in the concourse. So after that, you know, I, I charged downstairs and, and, and helped him uh, with the with the winning locker room. But we thought for a while there that there was going to be a game seven. But fortunately, uh, MJ and the group had, had had other ideas. And and Phoenix, you know, that was Charles Barkley's fantastic season. He was the MVP. He played exceptionally well in the finals. They had a good chance. Phoenix had the best record in the league that year. Uh, they thought they were going to force that game seven. But, of course, everybody remembers the play. They threw it into Horace inside, back out to John Paxson, drains the three, and then they get the block shot of Kevin Johnson on the other end. So, yeah, it was it was a whirlwind uh, 15 minutes or so for me. And unfortunately, uh, it, it ended up the right way, uh, a moment that Bulls fans will never forget, something that John Paxson will never forget, and that was championship number three. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure. Best wishes with Windy City and with Give Me the Hot Sauce. And looking forward to catching up again real soon. Always appreciate it. Thanks, John. Yeah, I want to encourage people to check out Give Me the Hot Sauce with Stacey if they, if they haven't done it. We do a new show every week. We do it on YouTube so you can watch it. We do the show live, normally on Thursday evenings, but we're kind of working around Stacey's schedule right now. But we have a ton of fun doing it, a lot of laughs. Uh, if you can't watch it live, check it out on either YouTube or any podcast carrier uh, the next day. Red Talk there with Mark Janowski. That'll do it for us today. You're on Sports Talk Chicago. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglula. Want to watch more of this show, head on over to sportstalkchicago.com. So long, everyone. No! No! Where are the turtles?